And the second thing that they were doing was that they were stealing tithes and offerings from God. Uh, and so God rebuked them for that. But Malachi's prophecy shows the grace of the Lord our God, even to his most rebellious people, because he promised in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, he said this, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, that was a great promise, but that's a repeat of a promise that was made about 250 years earlier in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 says this, A voice is calling, clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness, make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Now, Malachi was one of several prophets who had uh, been prophesying after the Jews had returned from their exile in Babylon. Uh, and so they were allowed to return to Judah, and the prophets uh, that just preceded Malachi were Haggai and Zechariah. Uh, so it wouldn't be right necessarily to say that prophecy was common, but it wasn't non-existent either. Uh, Israel had had uh, hundreds of years where there had been prophets speaking to them. Uh, and although they couldn't have known it then, Malachi was going to be the last prophet who spoke to them uh, for four centuries. Now, I want us to think about how long that is. You know, when we think about the Old Testament, we think about biblical times, we think about hundreds of years like it's a snap of a finger. Uh, so it's 2019. 400 years ago was 1619. Uh, the pilgrims had not even stepped foot off the Mayflower yet in 1619. That was going to happen a year later. So we're talking about a really long time that it had been that God had not spoken to them. Because with the end of the book of Malachi, uh, God became silent. Now imagine the people of God as they're thinking about the word of God and, and years are passing and then generations are passing without a word from God. And they must have thought that God had ghosted them because they had been waiting for a word and yet nothing came. But at the same time, they knew of the promises that God had made in Isaiah and in Malachi. And they certainly knew about the promises made in 2 Samuel chapter 7, where God promised that there would always be a king sitting on the throne of David. And yet at the time, there was not an Israelite king sitting on the throne of David. And they certainly knew about Jeremiah chapter 23, verses 5 and 6. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteousness. And they certainly were familiar with Isaiah chapter 9. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. And there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David or over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. So they knew the prophecy. The question was, when would it be fulfilled? Generations passed. Centuries passed. And yet the, the, the prophecies remained unfulfilled and God remained mute. But anticipation had to be in the air. Uh, like us waiting for Jesus to return, we know it's going to happen. It's not a question of if. 
It's a question of when. And I think that every faithful mother uh, or woman in that day was hoping uh, that perhaps she, if she was in the line of David, or if she was married to someone in the line of David, that she might be the one uh, to be the mother of the Messiah. And if not the mother of Messiah, the next best thing would be to be the mother of the forerunner. Now, the Jews had lived under foreign domination for centuries. We know Israel's history, except for a brief period of 100 years uh, before Jesus' day. Uh, they had been under foreign domination for centuries, but they always had the hope that its salvation through its promised Messiah was near. And that's the context of first century life in Israel. Uh, they were oppressed, but the faithful Israelites were hopeful and they were expectant. And among those faithful were a couple named Zacharias and Elizabeth. And what we see first is that faithful people live by faith while they wait for God to accomplish his purposes. So uh, verses 5 to 7, in the days of Herod, this is Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. In the days of Herod, a king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were advanced in years. Well, King Herod had uh, become king of the Jews in uh, 37 BC, and he reigned all the way until his death in 4 BC. And his job was to keep order in his part of the Roman Empire, which included Israel. And he was a tool of Rome. That's what his job was, was to serve Rome and keep uh, Israel under control. Uh, but he was in a tough spot because uh, the Jews hated him uh, because he was a tool of Rome, first of all, and second, because he really wasn't one of them. He was a descendant of Edom, uh, Esau, uh, not of Jacob, as the true Israelites uh, thought themselves uh, to be descendants. And, and so he knew he was in a tough spot, and so he wanted to placate the Jews. And so he, he uh, took on this project to rehabilitate and renovate the, their temple, which had fallen into disrepair over the centuries. And, and it's the temple that had been recently uh, repaired and renovated that uh, Zacharias and the other face, faithful priests would go and minister on the altar to the Lord. And he was from the division of Abijah. And his wife Elizabeth was also from a priestly line. We learn that she was a descendant of Aaron. And so they both had impeccable lineage because they were both descended of Aaron. And that's the best lineage that a priest could have. And they were also righteous in God's sight. They were walking blamelessly in all the commandments and the requirements of the Lord. So they have this perfect lineage and they walk blamelessly in the sight of the Lord. And yet there was still sadness because we learn that Elizabeth was barren. They were childless and they were advanced in years. Now, in those days, it was a shameful thing to be barren, uh, to not have children. It was seen uh, to be a curse of God not to be able to bear children. Uh, where people who had lots of children, a quiver full of children, were seen to be uh, as blessed of God. And so I imagine that like most faithful couples of their day, they were hoping in their younger years that they might be uh, the parents of the Messiah or perhaps his forerunner. But as the years slipped by uh, and the time of uh, childbearing uh, slipped past them, I imagine they were disappointed for sure but their disappointment did not slip into unfaithfulness. 
And though they would not be the children or the parents of the Messiah, yet they still knew that the Messiah was coming. And in that, they were still able to rejoice and be faithful. So they continued to live faithful, humble, obedient lives to the Lord. And each was pleasing to the Lord because of their righteous walk. You know, sometimes God does things in a way that humans just cannot take credit for the amazing things that God does. Uh, we want God to get all the glory, or we should want God to get all the glory, and sometimes he does things in, the, in a way that we can't help but give him all the glory uh, because it was time for the Messiah to come. But first, the forerunner was needed. And so finally, God chose Zacharias and Elizabeth to be parents after 400 years of silence. Now, God spoke to Zacharias through the angel Gabriel. And what we learn is that God brings hope to impossible situations. Verses 8 to 17. Now, it happened that while he was uh, performing his priestly service before God, in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of his priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Well, from the time of David, the priests had been organized into 24 separate divisions, and one of the divisions was called Abijah. And each division was given the responsibility of ministering at the temple uh, for one week at a time, uh, two times a year. So that covers 48 weeks of the 52. And then uh, to cover those four weeks uh, on rotation, a couple of those divisions would serve an extra two weeks uh, each year. Uh, and from the division of the, of the uh, priests that were serving that week, one priest was chosen to, to offer the incense in the morning and one in the evening. And so because there were so many priests and, and, and there were so few opportunities to offer incense, uh, a priest would only have the opportunity to do this once in his lifetime. And after all these years, Zacharias' chance finally came. And I imagine him walking into the temple and standing before the Holy of Holies with his knees quaking uh, in fear and reverence and awe that he had been uh, chosen for this awesome privilege of offering incense to the Lord. And he burned this incense, and, and the smoke that would rise up to the Lord was a symbolic of the prayers of the people and the nation rising up before the Lord. And while Zacharias was performing this sacred task, there were multitudes of people standing outside waiting for him to come out. And while he's in there, all of a sudden the angel Gabriel appeared to him 
And Zacharias, of course, was immediately terrified by this, but Gabriel reassured him that he should not be afraid because Gabriel had come with great news. Zacharias's prayers had been answered. Well, we might ask what prayers? It was probably uh, way too far uh, in, the, in the distant past that Zacharias was going to be able to bear children with uh, Elizabeth, and so he probably wasn't praying that they would have this child. And in fact, it wasn't his role to pray for himself in that capacity. He, as, a, as priest, he's to offer up prayers for the people and for the nation. But God is amazing in how he answers prayer. I'm sure many of you know that in your own lives. God would answer Zacharias's prayers for the people and the nation, but he would do it by answering Zacharias's prayer long ago in the past, probably long ago forgotten, uh, for a son. And it was that son who was going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. And so God answered two for one, giving them uh, a son and also answering the prayers for the people and the nation as the forerunner would then uh, call forth uh, and herald the Messiah. So Gabriel told Zacharias that this son would be called John and he would be special and many would rejoice over his arrival, and he would be great in the sight of the Lord. And more than just an ordinary prophet, John would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, which had never been said of any other prophet before. And he would come in the spirit and in the power of Elijah. Now, that is a reference that Zacharias would not have missed as a priest. That's right out of Malachi uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite them with a curse. So based on these verses, Jews expected a, a literal uh, coming of Elijah uh, to return and announce the Messiah. But they under, misunderstood the verses. He was going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Uh, he was like Elijah, but not the same as Elijah. And he came to give stern warnings uh, to his people, uh, just like John the Baptist would end up doing in his day. John's mission would be to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers and to make ready a, a people prepared for the Lord. And so this was an incredible statement by Gabriel to Zacharias. And Zacharias' answer to Gabriel showed that his faith had faltered just a little bit uh, at, this, at this time, probably just like mine would have under the same circumstances. So what we learn from this is that faltering faith may bring discipline, but God's sovereign plan will still be accomplished. Verses 18 to 20, Zacharias said to the angel, how will I know this for certain? For, am I, for I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news and behold you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their proper time now Zacharias is a faithful priest certainly knew all about God causing barren women to be able to bear children in the past Sarah was well past the age of childbearing uh, when she had her womb filled by the Lord and gave birth to Isaac Rachel was barren before God finally blessed her with the twins, Esau and Jacob. 
uh, Hannah was barren, and she prayed to the Lord and prayed uh, and promised to dedicate a son uh, to him, and, and she was given Samuel. Uh, Samson's mother was barren until God filled her womb in his own timing. Uh, somehow in Zacharias's moment of shock, uh, at first at seeing the angel and then hearing these incredible promises, uh, he apparently forgot uh, what God had done in the past, and apparently he underestimated God's ability to do anything that he says uh, and promises that he will do. And Gabriel rebuked Zacharias for failing to believe, and he cursed him with muteness until all of these things happened. Now, this is one of the times in the Bible, uh, for me, maybe for you too, where we might think that God uh, acted a little harshly uh, towards Zacharias. I mean, after all, he's an old man. He's shocked and stunned to see uh, Gabriel appear before him. Uh, so it's hard to blame Ga uh, uh, Zacharias for his reaction. Uh, but at the same time, uh, he was going to uh, have to trust God, and he needed to learn that. So I don't blame him necessarily for being shocked by God's appear or by Gabriel's appearance. I should, sure would have been too, and I wouldn't be surprised if my response was exactly the same. Uh, Zacharias's response was the same as Abraham's uh, when when the angel appeared to him. But Genesis 15:6 says that God believed Abraham, and it was credited to him as righteousness. And apparently, Zacharias didn't believe God. So he was going to be disciplined. But God had a purpose in Zacharias's discipline. Zacharias was going to be tested. Would he, be tr would he trust God? Would he be faithful? Would he be obedient? Would he glorify God through this time of discipline? God wants us to be faithful and obedient. He wants us to trust that his way is the best and that he can accomplish anything that he wants, even through weak and broken vessels like ourselves. And even when we're not faithful, God will still accomplish his, his plans. Uh, Abraham and Sarah tried to rush God uh, through the, uh, with the promised child by giving uh, uh, Abraham to Hagar, uh, and that child was not the child of the promise. And Moses tried to uh, get out of God's plan for him when he said, I am slow of speech, I cannot go and speak to Pharaoh. Uh, and Jonah's first response when told to go and preach to the Ninevites was to get on a boat and, and sail in the complete opposite direction. They all incurred God's anger and consequences uh, for their decisions. But thankfully, human obedience or disobedience uh, has nothing to do with God's plans. God's plans are going to go forward despite our disobedience. He uses us in spite of ourselves. Have you had times when you knew that God was calling you to do something and you either disobeyed or you delayed or you questioned God? I know that I have. Uh, there have been times, I think probably for all of us, when we have not trusted God's promises and maybe too much time has passed between the promise and today and we no longer believe that God is going to be faithful for that promise or that he's going to answer in his own timing. Uh, I've done that too. And there have been times in my life when I have ghosted God because I have thought that you know God has forgotten this promise and so I'm just going to stop praying for it. Um, <clears throat> and uh, that's wrong when we fall into that pattern. So uh, God goes forward with his plans, even though uh, we fail to trust him momentarily. And God went forward with Zacharias, even though his faith faltered. 
And when Zacharias came out of the temple, uh, he couldn't speak. He was mute, uh, not able to say anything. He could only make hand gestures. But verse 23 says, after those days, he went home to his wife Elizabeth. And then verse 24 says, after those days, Elizabeth became pregnant. Well, we aren't told how many days it is. Elizabeth uh, may have become pregnant uh, immediately after Zacharias got home, or months or years may have even passed before John's birth. And imagine how frustrated Zacharias must have been for those months or even years as he's unable to speak, and all he can do is write on a tablet, which was not as easy to do as it is in our day. And he's, he's there contemplating uh, God's plans and God's promises and the discipline that he's under. And then Elizabeth, who is way too old to become pregnant, becomes pregnant. And he watched her belly go from flat to round over the next nine months and just sitting there contemplating uh, God and how awesome he is. And then finally, the child was born. And so we see in this next section that being alone with God is the best way to know him. Verses 57 to 66. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. And fear came on all those living around them. And all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. Well, John was born, and everyone rejoiced with the happy parents. And according to the law, Zacharias and Elizabeth took him to be circumcised on the eighth day. And it's on the eighth day that a child is named. And certainly all the friends and all the relatives and whoever was there uh, were uh, thinking that they were going to name this child Zacharias after his father. And Elizabeth was the first one to correct them. He said, no, his name is going to be called John. And certainly his family and his friends looked to Zacharias as the father uh, to confirm what Elizabeth said. And so he grabs this writing tablet and he says emphatically on the writing tablet, his name is is John. And so immediately his tongue was unloosed, and the first thing he did was to begin praising God for this incredible miracle. And what I want us to see here is that Zacharias did not waste the time uh, of muteness and discipline. Uh, He watched God work. And one of the problems in our society is how fast-paced everything is, right? We're constantly on the move, going from here to there, uh, with so many things that we have to get done every day. The demands of work and parenting and grandparenting and volunteering, or whatever it is that we're doing, they can consume our lives. And especially this time of year, Christmas time, uh, between all the shopping and all the parties and the cooking and the cleaning and the prepping and the guests and everything that we have going on this time of year, it's so hard to get alone with God. 
And since the invention of the smartphone like 15 years ago, uh, we don't have a minute where we're not expected to be on, right? We're always on. There's no place uh, where we can go where we're not expected to be able to be reached. And we have no excuse to be off the grid at any time. And so it's really hard to have time to be alone with God. But if we don't do that, we are the ones who suffer because we can't hear him and we're so busy going here and there and so busy talking ourselves that we don't have opportunity to hear. I think God gave Zacharias this gift of silence, and I think silence is a gift. He was forced to slow down, to spend time with God, to to try to comprehend uh, all of the scriptures that he knew and everything that God was doing through the scriptures and through him and through Elizabeth. And when John was born, there was no thought of disobedience. There was no thought of glorifying himself by naming him Zach Jr., right? He was immediately called John, just like God told him to. So Zacharias did two simple things that God expected of him. He named the child John, and he immediately started to praise God. And I imagine that the people were amazed at the things that Zacharias must have said. And I'm sure as a proud papa, he told everybody who would listen what was destined for this child, what happened in the temple, and what this child was eventually going to become. And then Zacharias was filled with love uh, for God and filled with the Holy Spirit, and he burst out into song in verses 67 to 80. And I'm not going to take time to read the whole prayer, but it begins as a song of praise and adoration to God. And I imagine Zacharias looking up into heaven and praising God, remembering the promises that God made to deliver uh, his people uh, and, and his covenant with Abraham to rescue Israel from his enemies. And Zacharias prophesied about a time when Israel would be able to serve God without fear and free from enemies in holiness and righteousness. Now, we know that Israel ultimately rejected Jesus, and so that time has not come yet where Israel is free from all of its enemies. That day is still in the future, and it awaits fulfillment in the millennial kingdom. But Zacharias could not have known that at the time. He just worshiped God. And after he was done worshiping God, he lowered his gaze from heaven down to his son. And he said, And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. What an incredible moment. All the themes of Advent, peace, hope, love, and joy, are are represented in this beautiful prayer that Zacharias prayed at the birth of his son because of his realization of God's great faithfulness. Uh, What a life, what a work that God did through the old uh, and faithful Zacharias. So uh, what else can we take away from Zacharias' life story that will prepare us uh, to celebrate the birth uh, of Jesus and to prepare ourselves and our hearts for his second coming? The first thing I want us to see is that lifelong faith still needs to grow. You know, Zacharias had been a faithful priest for a long time. But at the moment when he was actually asked to believe that God could do the impossible, his faith faltered just a little bit. And he needed a fresh infusion of the fear, reverence, majesty, and awe of God. 
And I wonder if that's true for any of us here today. We've, most of us, been Christians here for a very long time. And we trust that God has saved us. But I wonder if, uh, for some of us, uh, maybe our faith has become weak or become stale over the years. And maybe we've given up on, on God fulfilling some promise that he's uh, made to us. Or, or we've, we've just lost our faithfulness in the God who is able to do incredible miracles in our lives. So do we trust that he's still able to do miracles in our lives? Do we trust that he's with us even through difficult times? There are some of you who are going through some really, really hard things right now. Uh, And for those of us who aren't, you probably recently have, or you may uh, in the near future. We need to believe that God can walk with us through those difficult times and that he will guide us through and take us to the other side. Now, Zacharias had understandably given up on the idea that God would provide a son for him. He was way past the age of childbearing, but God makes the impossible possible. And so this Christmas season, as we contemplate the impossibility of Christ's birth, born to a virgin, we have to believe that God can still make the impossible possible. Do we believe that? Do we believe that God makes the impossible possible? Maybe we need a fresh commitment to God. Maybe we need a fresh encounter with him. We should never be content with where we are spiritually. We learn from Zacharias that lifelong faith still has room to grow. Secondly, God has a role for each of us to play in his sovereign plan. God's part for Zacharias was to be the father of John the Baptist, the one who would ultimately uh, herald the coming of the Messiah. But by the time John was born, Zacharias was a very old man, so it's very unlikely that he lived to see John's ministry and Jesus' ministry some 30 years later. But God still gave him a part in in his plan of salvation. And Zacharias happily played that role. And then he just walked off the stage of scripture. God has given us Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, who died for our sins and rose from the dead. And he wants us to tell others the good news. That's our role in God's plan of salvation. And we don't know how many people God has ordained uh, to come into the kingdom of heaven through our witness. So how are we doing in playing the part, the role that God has given us at this time? Uh, The Christmas season is a great time to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Or you can bring them to church and I'll be happy to tell them. Third, our children and our grandchildren need a godly influence. God chose Zacharias to be the forerunner, uh, the father of the forerunner, because he was a godly man who would obey and teach his son how to be faithful to all the commands of the Lord and live a faithful life before God. Now, the world is a hard place to live in. Uh, and if we don't do our job in teaching our children and our grandchildren uh, God's commands, then our kids are already way behind the eight ball uh, in this life. I think John uh, was taught by Zacharias. Zacharias taught John everything he knew. And he filled his head uh, with the stories of what happened in the temple uh, years before and, and what God's plan was for his life. Well, God may not tell us the specific plan that he has for our kids' lives and our grandkids' lives, but it surely involves a life of faith and obedience and trust in him. 
And Zacharias teaches us that a father with a godly influence can encourage uh, his kids to stay on the path that God has for them. So we need to be that godly influence that our children and our grandchildren need. And finally, a Christmas is a time for peace. Uh, Advent is the time when we celebrate the first coming of Jesus Christ and we wait for his second coming. And so we uh, need to ask ourselves the question, are we at peace with God? Uh, Maybe we're mad at God or frustrated with God because our lives have not or are not working out at this particular moment the way we might like them to. But God sent his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And he has made peace with us through his son, uh, even though we have sinned against him. And so we need to make peace with him as he has made peace with us. And uh, we need to be thankful for all that he's done for us, even if we're a little frustrated with how life is going for us. If we're grumbling against God, we're saying, "Uh, God, I could do this better than you. And that's pride. And that's not a place where we want to be. So we need to be at peace with God. And we need to be at peace with others. Christmas is a great time to go and make peace with others. Uh, many of you, probably all of you, have seen the movie Home Alone, right? And there's that wonderful scene where the, uh, the old uh, fellow who lived next door who was so terrifying to Kevin, uh, uh, he, Kevin met him in the church, and, and, uh, and the old man told Kevin his story about how he had not talked to his son in many years because of something that he had said uh, to his son that hurt his feelings years before. And Kevin, being the wise eight-year-old that he was, says, I would just call him and make peace with him. And so it's a really heartwarming scene at the end of the movie where, we, uh, where Kevin looks out the window and sees uh, the old man making peace with his son and having him over for the holidays. So uh, Christmas is a great time to be at peace with the Lord, and it's a great time to be at peace with others. And so these are the lessons of the life of Zacharias, a seemingly a bit player in God's plan of salvation, yet at the same time, so many lessons to be learned from him. And so we're thankful for the life of Zacharias, and we pray that we can learn these lessons and take them to heart. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the life of Zacharias and for your plan and for how you brought the Messiah. Not only that you brought him, but how you brought him through human agents, Lord, so that we can see that uh, you can use anyone, Lord, and you can use anyone. And Lord, may we believe that. May we be at peace with you uh, this Christmas season, Lord, and, and love you for all that you have done for us. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.